hey, Joe Casaboni here, and I'm just letting you know that how I built it is now Streamlined Solopreneur. So if you're seeing a new artwork and a new name in your podcast player, that is expected and by design. The new name better reflects the mission and really what has been the mission of this show for the last few years, and I'm really excited about it. All the links in the show notes and how I built it will still work, but the show also has a new home over at streamlined.fm if you want to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 229 of How I Built It, the podcast that offers actionable tech tips for small business owners. Today's sponsors are Text Expander and Podcast Liftoff. You'll hear about them later in the show. Today, our guest, Andy Schaff, really delivers on the actionable tech tips. He's the development architect at Portent, and we have a fantastic chat about how to make your website more performant from the ground up. We get pretty technical, but don't worry because I rain down analogies like it's my job. Andy drops a ton of knowledge about backend performance and gives both developers and small business owners starting points for making websites faster and why your Google PageRank depends on it. In Build Something More, we talk about two things, his record collection, which I had the benefit of looking at during our interview. It's vast, and we we get into how he got into record collecting and things like that. But we also talk about the acquisition that he and his company went to after being at this company for a while. So it'll be really, it was a really interesting conversation to hear. If you want to join the Build Something Club, you can do so over at buildsomething.club. You will get the bonus part of this episode, as well as bonuses to every episode. As a matter of fact, there'll be ad-free extended episodes. You'll also get access to the quarterly members-only episodes, members-only podcasts, live stream archives, a community where we have AMAs, networking events, and lots of other stuff as well. It's just five bucks a month or $50 a year. That is two months for free. And you can sign up over at buildsomething.club. Now let's get on with the interview with Andy Schaff. Andy, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Now, I'll just say right off the bat that I'm really digging. Uh, this is not a video podcast. So uh, for the listeners, uh, Andy has a very, uh, it looks like a, a very complete <laughs> record collection behind him. Um, so maybe we'll talk about that and build something more. We'll see. We'll see where the conversation takes us. But before we get into any of that, really, uh, Andy? Why don't you tell us a, a little bit about who you are, what you do, particularly? What does development architect mean? Yeah, so it's um, it's a contributor path with Portent that uh, I've been on for a long time now. I've been working with Portent since two thousand and four, and and I didn't start off being an expert with site speed or really being an expert at all. <laughs> um, but over, you know, over the years of doing lots and lots of client sites and, and, you know, failing in some aspects and learning and improving and the technology is changing, I've, I've, you know, worked up the expertise to get to where I'm at now. Um, 
And what that means, I'm more back-end focused, but I implement everything that happens on the front end. So, you know, the term full-stack developer gets thrown out a lot these days. You know, I don't know how many true full-stack developers there actually are. Um, I would consider myself a little bit more of like a full-stack implementation engineer. Like I, I don't, you don't want me doing your CSS because I'm not trained in it, mm-hmm. right? But I understand how it works. I can set up the pre-processing workflows and things of that nature. But my expertise is more on, I, can, I create environments that, that make sites super fast. Um, working with the various caching technologies and configuring the web servers like Nginx and Apache to make those sites run very quickly or at least give the really good server response time, which is a backbone of a a lot of site speed. Um, So that then just coupled with my, I have a a bachelor's of science and computer science uh, degree. So that couple, using that, like the back end stuff, coupled with, you know, just my general knowledge of, of coding. Um, that all gets put into, I end up running projects when we do site builds, all the development side of the, uh, of things. So I help plan from even the SOW, which we've gone component-based SOWs and component-based nice. design into component-based, you know, development thought process um, that really helps our teams compartmentalize what we're actually doing so we can break it down and scope it better. That, that also helps us in our sprint planning as well. Um, cool. Very cool. So, yeah. so um, important, important, uh, first of all, do you like, I usually drop the middle T. I went to college in Scranton and that's how uh-huh. they say Scrant, like Scranton. So um, I might drop the middle T if that's okay. Um no but uh, so important is a, uh, a a digital marketing agency, right? Is that? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, we ma- we mainly work online. We dabble a little bit off, but um, we're we're pretty much focused. And on- and that uh, that includes a whole suite of services, you know, from making the the website and. Uh, SEO, pay-per-click ads, things like that. Like the whole yeah, we suite, do yeah. we do everything under yeah we do everything under the umbrella of digital marketing. So um, we we consider ourselves full service. So we'll do you know design, UX, information architecture, you know down into the development of the site, and then you know some of those other services like PPC and social SEO. We have a big analytics department, and nice. all the all those come together. Um, to really create uh, a solid, you know, a solid plan for our, our clients. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And I'm sure it makes uh, your clients lives easier. Cause you know, I'm a freelancer. I would consider myself when I was doing more development work. Uh, and when I was at an agency, a front end developer, I used to think I was both. And then I met actual backend developers and I'm like, I don't know how Memcache works at all. I'm just going to write my CSS. Um, <laughs> so, um, and then, and so you've been working with them since 2004. You have a, a bachelor's in comp sci. Um, I have a, I have a master's in what I say is like a fake major. It was media infotech, but I, or I have a, I'm sorry, my bachelor's in that. I have my master's in software engineering though. So I, I feel like we probably oh. took very similar paths. Uh, what year did you graduate? Uh, and from there, I want to figure out what you learned and what you talked about. <laughs> yeah, so I graduated in 2004. Okay, okay. So this is about two uh, two years, three years uh, uh, before I graduated. 
Okay. Um, So was agile like the big thing that your teachers talked about? Because like every course I had for like two straight years talked about the agile manifesto. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. (laughs) It was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we learned our main, the main language that I studied was Java. Okay. Likewise. That was my, that was my follow-up. I think my alma mater is still teaching Java primarily, which bums me out. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I would feel like Python feels like the one that a lot would be kind of gravitating towards, but I do understand Java is still very popular. It just feels like it's starting to get surpassed by by Python. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. And I guess like when when we started learning it, it was like less than a decade old or something like that, right? It was like, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's I was just generally curious about that. So, uh, sure. working at a you have been in this co- at this company since you graduated. Very rare for people our age, elder millennials, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually we're jumping from job to job every two to three years. Um, so I guess this is a very interesting perspective for me. Um, what, what made you want to keep, st- like keep working at Borton, Borton? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was mainly, it was mainly the people to be honest. So, um, Ian Lurie is the one who founded the company and, and kind of led us um, led us to new heights, I guess you could say, because I was like the 13th employee. So it was a really wow. small company. Um, and there was just a really good core of of people on the team. And I believed his vision. I still do. The vision that he created is still ongoing within Porton. He is, you know, since that has happened, he sold the company in 2017, I believe, to Clearlink, who's our parent company now. Um, but we're we're basically the marketing agency for Clearlink, okay. and the way that we've been running stuff since, you know, I mean, obviously we've gone through permutation since two thousand and four, but I mean, it feels like we really hit hit the ground running and had a full head of steam somewhere around 2012, 2013. And the core philosophies that have been created by Ian and and the rest of the team um, have continued forward and we're still running like yes we were purchased but it feels like we're still our own little little agency agency shop um that that you know was around 10 or seven years ago or so um so for why i for that's one of the reasons why i i've i've stuck with it the other reason is i'm able to be I'm able to work on a lot of different things. I have a lot of flexibility. I'm not just pounding on the same one product all the time. You know, we're taking on all sorts of different clients. I've done e-commerce. You know, I the languages I've worked in have been from Cold Fusion, the classic ASP. Wow. I've touched .NET, which never again, but yeah. that's just that's personal for me. <laughs> but um, you know, in the PHP, which I mainly work on now, I've I've done Java with Spring and Hibernate before. So I've because we're a smaller company and we have a whole variety of clients in pretty much any industry, I've seen I've seen all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and I, I, so I would consider myself battle tested because of that. Cause I've just, I've had to figure out tons of things on the fly, Microsoft SQL server, you know, all sorts of different stuff like that. So, Yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I, and I, that's really admirable, right? Because um, 
you know, like you said, it sounds like you got to work on a diverse set of projects. That was when I was at an agency. Um, it was it was a lot of fun from that aspect. There was a lot of new problems I was solving on a regular basis, and uh-huh. um, you know, part of the reason I left was I I my daughter was just born, and I feel like the agency life didn't jive with the kind of family life I wanted to have. Um, so, but maybe we can maybe we can also talk about the acquisition process and build in the build something uh, more section because. Uh, Cool. Uh, I'm I'm pretty well in the WordPress space. I don't know if you do a lot of work with WordPress, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, there have been a lot of acquisitions. Uh, as we record this, there have been a lot of acquisitions in the WordPress space lately. So, uh, seeing one that happened kind of outside of the WordPress space is probably going to be interesting. Um, awesome. So, so the agency has been around for. Well, you've been there for nearly 20 years. So you have certainly seen a lot. Um, digital marketing agency in 2004 probably wasn't even a word, uh, like wasn't even a term. Uh, yeah. You were just like, you just, you did web design probably if I, if yeah. I had to guess. Yeah, it used to be called Portent Interactive if that dates it enough. <laughs> yeah, that's totally, because <laughs> like interactive was a whole new thing basically back in 2004. Yeah. Um, so I, before we get into the the main topic, right, which is kind of why you should have a performant website, um, uh, what what kind of evolutionary milestones stick out in your mind? Like, do you remember like the first WordPress site you made or like the first time you implemented caching or whatever, like when you moved from interactive to digital marketing agency? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I I can think of two immediately where it was like, so the first one was we were in we the the excuse me the company was based in a little business center in Tuckwill, Washington, which is like twenty miles south of Seattle, and so we were just kind of this little scrappy shop with not a, not a ton of people, but we were growing. And it felt like a big milestone was when we finally committed and moved down to downtown Seattle into the Smith Tower, the historic Smith Tower. And so that was a really big step up because it went from, you know, just just the the look and feel of the office and all that. It just you could tell that we were we were starting to make a name for ourselves and we were starting to land larger clients. Yeah, and I mean, like that's where like Amazon has headquarters there, right? And Microsoft has headquarters there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So getting down into that space, it just kind of bumped us up to the next tier. Not only. You know, not only were we building upon the clients we had, we were now looking more attractive to a lot of clients in the area because, you know, because of that move. So that was a big one. And then with that, some of the clients that we got somewhat early on in in the Smith Tower age of Portland was was when I started working closely with Ian on really diving in and figuring out the site speed stuff from the server level. So that's when... I started to do a deep dive into learning Nginx and Varnish and, and some mm. of these technologies that that drastically speed up your site. Um, 
one of the tasks I had, um, I'm not going to name client names because I don't know if I have permissions yeah. to, but um, one of them, we, you know, I remember specifically one of them, I had to architect the environment for a million unique page views a month, which, you know, nowadays that's not that crazy difficult, but it, it felt like a big task at the time because it wasn't, it wasn't something that, you know, we're not, we're not dealing necessarily with huge enterprise clients. Mm -hmm. We deal with small, typically over the years, it's been small to medium. And in more recent years, we're, we're getting, we're getting higher into enterprise, but back then it wasn't quite like that. Um, and this was a client that was right on the edge of enterprise. And so I, that was one of the, the milestones I absolutely remember because I had to come up with the environment, which was, you know, had a load balancer and, SSL termination and and it had multiple web you know web nodes uh, mm -hmm. a main and then you know a, a secondary that that kind of, kind of mimicked the main and and so that that kind of structure was was like oh wow I learned a lot about it you know and it became kind of a uh, a framework for what I use going forward you know I've since you know kind of fine-tuned that um that architecture or that plan but um that that milestone absolutely stands out yeah that's awesome uh, and so was this like uh before things like aws i mean i don't know when aws started selling aws services. was around yeah. yeah aws was around um we were using we were using a combination we weren't directly with it well I will say that for our clients, it kind of depended on who they wanted us to go with. Mm -hmm. So um, in that scenario, I was architecting something that ended up on Rackspace. But okay. I think Rackspace had AWS underneath it, yeah. or maybe they didn't yet, but they do now. I don't know. It's yeah. hard to keep up with who's the who's the backbone these days. I know. It's you, you know when everything goes down, right? Like when AWS goes right. down and then everything, oh, <laughs> I guess Netflix uses AWS. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Podcast Liftoff. This is my own course and offering. And if you are thinking, hey, I want to start a podcast or hey, how does Joe make podcasting mostly his full time gig? Well, it's because I have found the formula to making money podcasting. And I teach you that in my Podcast Liftoff course. So if you head over to podcastliftoff.com, you can enroll in Podcast Liftoff, learn all the ins and outs of launching a podcast if you haven't done that yet, or if you want to cut to the quick, you can take what I think are the two most valuable sections there, which are creating consistent content and monetizing your podcast through sponsorship or otherwise. It's big value. I have made over $200,000 podcasting. It is a large portion of my income and I am self-employed full-time and I have monetized my podcast in multiple ways, not just through sp the sponsorships that you hear on this show. So if you are interested, head over to podcastliftoff.com. Check it out. Enroll in the course. Start making money with your podcast. Podcasts are fun, but they cost money and they can make you money. Again, podcastliftoff.com. Use the code BUILT, B-U-I-L-T, at checkout for a cool 20% off. 
for a while, the conversation around website performance was just like, don't make your images too big or like, don't bloat your JavaScript or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, and, and even like, I mean, I'm not, again, you know, I know I've known Apache since I was making websites in like 2000. Uh, Nginx is something I, I have kind of heard and have used because the hosting company I use uses them, but I've mm-hmm. never dug into like the finer points. Like they do redirects differently or whatever, but uh, on that level, but um, what, for my own edification, what, what are maybe the top two differences or top three differences between like Apache and Nginx or are there not that many differences? I mean, at this point, I think you can, you can tune Apache to be pretty similar mm-hmm. to Nginx, but I know that Nginx is just lightning fast with um, with its ability to recall cached configuration. Um, gotcha. It is it is primarily used like it's the number one used um, web server when you're talking about any load balancer. Like any load balancer is using Nginx. Gotcha. It's just super fast at being able to. Um, handle those requests as they come in and do whatever the configuration is set to do. Gotcha. Um, But like Apache can be fine tuned to be super quick. Like one of the kind of the gotchas that, that isn't a default setting in Apache is, um, uh, shoot, I'm going to, I'm going to forget what the name is, but it's, I can explain it. It's basically, Apache by default says, hey, look in every directory and if there's an HD access file, read it. Mm. Right? So that the process of having to do that slows down Apache a bit. So you can turn that off by default. Gotcha. Um, so that makes it a lot more a lot more fast. So all the configurations, you're including them, but they're cached by Apache. So that when they are being when the requests come in, they don't really have to think about it because it's in the cache. Whereas if that setting's on, it, it's going through every directory that that thing could touch and saying, oh, is there an X- HT access file? Oh, there is. Now I have to process it in gotcha. real time. Yeah. It's, it's like it's like asking somebody like to find something in a book by reading every page of the book instead of saying like, oh, it's in chapter four. Like, Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Very interesting. And and again, for the maybe for the non-back-endy um, folks, uh, a load balancer is essentially traffic comes in you look at however many machines you are, uh, I hope I'm explaining this right, you're looking at however many machines like have your files, your website, abstractly, uh, and then it just sends it to the one that has the least amount of traffic, we'll say. Very high-level abstract sort of. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep, that's correct, yeah. I got like a crash course from my friends at the University of Scranton when I was a web developer, and they're like, we just set up this cool thing, and I'm like, lay it on me. Um, (laughs) No, for sure. Cool. So, okay, let's get to the main event now that we've laid a bunch of groundwork here. Um, so when we when we talked pre-show, we talked about uh, improving clients LCP, FID, and FCP. The title of this will probably include something uh, sexier than that, like why why your website shouldn't be slow or whatever. Um, yeah. What do those three acronyms mean? Yeah, so LCP and and just so everyone listening, these are all core web vital metrics that Google has standardized um, or created in the last couple of years, and and 
uh, supposedly they're supposed to be already in effect. They're supposed to become a, a ranking factor starting in, I believe, the end of May. So basically June 1. But no one knows for sure mm-hmm. because, you know, it's Google. Yeah. Um, but so those metrics, the those are core web vital metrics. So LCP stands for largest contentful paint. And then FID is first input delay. And FCP is first contentful paint. Um, and so largest contentful paint is basically what, what Google is determining is like the largest rendered block in the viewport when your page loads. Most cases, at least for all the sites that I've worked on, it's like 95% or more. It's a masthead, right? Mm-hmm. Your, mo- most images when you come to their homepage or, I mean, it's this, this is for every page, I suppose, but like, there's a lot of mastheads. So yeah. typically that that is what an LCP is. But by definition, it's it's what is determined as like the largest text or largest image block in the viewport. And do you so do you mean that by like volume of viewport or like megabytes or hopefully not I, it's megabytes? volume. Yeah, okay. it's volume of <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yep. And then first input delay. And first contentful paint is the measure that it is basically the measure it takes for your user to be able to, well, first input delay is the, is the metric it takes from the time that the browser, uh, or sorry, the user first starts to load the page and when they can first interact with the page. Um, and then first contentful paint is the time it takes from when the user requested it to when something shows up on their screen. So it's possible that if you've done paid speed, like you've used paid speed insights or some of the other tools that give you a visual of your site loading, they'll show you kind of frame by frame what is showing up on, you know, to to a user when they load it. Um, a lot of times, you know, if you have a fast internet, connect, internet connection, you don't see it because it happens so mm-hmm. fast, but um, they, it's broken down like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and something uh that I've something that I talked about in my HTML and CSS book, uh the Visual Quick Start Guide specifically was testing by using some browser tools to kind of simulate really slow internet, right? So you can simulate like 4G or 3G or like Philly International Airport, I think it's its own entry. Um, <laughs> so, uh and Doing that right is is pretty important, right? Because I, you probably have super fast internet. I have super fast internet. Most of our users won't have super fast internet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, a lot. I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but a majority of people are loading sites from a mobile phone or some kind of device, and it's something in the three G range, mm-hmm. three to four G range is kind of like what the average is right now. So. Um, it is important to look at that. Um, I know there's lots of tools out there that that help you do that. Google, you know, Google itself and in, in the the Chrome console is one of those places that makes it pretty easy to to simulate that. And I'm I'm pretty sure that Lighthouse automatically uses a 3G or 3G slash 4G throttled connection when it does its tests. Gotcha. Uh, so let's talk about Lighthouse really quick. Mm-hmm. What is that? How does that help us as developers? Yeah. So Lighthouse is Google's it's Google's tool that basically tests 
your site speed and then provides recommendations around those. Um, it can be run straight out of, out of the council. It can be, uh, there's a command line tool for it if you want to use that. Um, and then it's also the, it's the logic and algorithm behind page speed insights when you go directly to that, that web tool that Google has. Gotcha. And again, this is important because, you know, if, if you've been listening to uh, any, a, a lot of stuff in the WordPress space uh, or just generally web news, Core Web Vitals has been buzzing for a couple of months. Uh, again, as we record this in, in June. Um, uh, you know, I spoke to Alberto Medina. He's a developer advocate at Google. Um, I spoke to him on, the, on a, another podcast that I host with Plesk. Um, these are important because, as you said, they're ranking factors, right? So if it takes like five seconds for, let's say, first content or contentful paint, that's going to lower your page rank, right? Not to mention other things, but that'll lower your page rank for the purposes of this conversation. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and just to kind of take a step back, like, yes, Google is popularizing this. It's making it more kind of in your face as, as developers and marketers. But, you know, it, it's important to realize how important site speed has been and is and will continue to be going forward. Um, I mean, we've been doing, Porton has been doing site speed analysis, auditing, and, and improvements for a decade mm-hmm. now. And it's just, you, it's, when you start understanding that there is a direct correlation between whatever your cycles are and site speed, you know, that needs, that needs to be at the forefront of, you know, everyone who's managing websites um, and, and web developers should be aware of it and working towards improving it. And if you are running a website as, you know, a manager or marketing, you know, like a vice, you know, vice director of marketing or something like that, this should be, this should be a top item for your site. Because if your site's not performing, people bounce. Like if you go to a website and it takes, you know, five seconds for something to load and you click and every page takes about that long, people are going to be gone real quick. I mean, we're, we're impatient as users these days, you know, I mean, it's just the truth. So so it's important to to keep that in mind that that site speed before these core web vital metrics it's always been important and and the longer you keep people engaged on your site the quicker they're the quicker they're able to get responses and get to where they want on your site that's a good user experience and that that's kind of what is that that's kind of what why Google has done core web vitals, you know, they, they, they throw the word out user experience, right. You know, right in the definition, mm-hmm. it's a measurement of user experience. And, and so that's kind of put that in the forefront. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, not to mention that I have a, a notebook of some stats here that I did from uh, another kind of recent interview, but it was something like after 2.7 seconds, each additional hundred milliseconds costs you like money, right? Like it, it costs you uh-huh. in conversion. I think it's 7% conversion for every hundred milliseconds or something like that. Right. So uh-huh. if, if you're a store that could cost you money, right? I think every, uh, Am- with Amazon, it's like every second costs them like a, some insane six or seven digit number. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah. They're working with some exponentials there. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So, so you're right. Like as a, as a business owner, if you, if your site is slow, A, people will leave, but B, people will, if they don't leave, they'll just be frustrated, Mm -hmm. right? If they see the form, but they can't interact, right? The first uh, input delay, if it loads and then they press the input field and nothing happens, they're going to be frustrated. Yeah, and that's that reflects poorly on you. Um, so maybe what we can do here with our remaining time, um, mm-hmm. you're the you're a back end guy. I'm a front end guy. Um, mm-hmm. What tips do you have for? Um, this was very developer focused, so maybe we could talk about what developers can do to improve import, uh, performance, uh, as well as what what site owners can kind of look for or maybe give them some things to ask for uh, to make their site faster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of tools out there that will, um, will, that will measure, you know, measure a site for how well it's performing and what recommendations should be, you know, what, what best practices should be applied that aren't, that aren't happening on a website. You know, I'll throw out, I'll throw out kind of the main ones that we use. We, we typically... I always will pull up like webpagetest.org immediately and just run a site through that and see what what is showing up on there. I will use PageSpeed Insights. I will also use Lighthouse directly in the the Chrome Developer um, Council. Um, sometimes I use Pingdom, but mainly th- those those first ones are the main ones that I'm looking at. And you know, aside from that, when I'm doing like site speed audits, I start to get into the nitty gritty of like looking at headers and looking at the source of the, you know, the I'll view the HTML source of a page and see what's happening on there. A lot of those tools are obviously doing the same thing and then, you know, giving you action items. So as an overview, without getting too too deep into the tech stuff, we'll just keep it at those tools. Um, okay. You know, marketers can easily just go to PageSpeed Insights, slap in, you know, their their URL and, and see what their scores are. It'll show you your core web vital metric scores, um, as well as your overall page speed score and and then the recommendations that that they give. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned PageSpeed Insights. That's Google's tool. And so it's it's important in the context of Google's ranking, right? Because that's the rubric they're using or whatever. There are also other page speed tests like GT metrics, right? Yeah. How how important is it to kind of compare and contrast? Do you always go with one over the other? Or do you just like look for commonalities in both and like, well, if I fix these, it'll be good. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty much all going to come back with the same stuff mm-hmm. at this point. Like that's why I, I, I do include webpagetest.org because I think that touches, it's got some testing on there that has some more server side stuff that, mm-hmm. that PageSpeed Insights isn't necessarily hitting that I like. Um, it'll, it'll tell me immediately if it's using a CDN, which PageSpeed okay. Insights doesn't do. It'll tell me stuff about keep alives and... Um, um, some of the gzip G compression or just compression, uh, compression of the transfer um, of of assets. So, those are the main two I like. I think GT Metrics also does things similar to WebPageTest.org. So, you know, I would say definitely use more than just PageSpeed Insights. Don't just use that. Yeah. I know you know we get a little beholden to Google sometimes, <laughs> but um, you kind of have to use it because it's the leading. You know. With with it being a ranking factor and all, you definitely want to know where you're standing as far as Google sees you. But I would say also lean on at least one other tool. 
Right. Because PageSpeed Insights can help you improve uh, the ranking criteria, but maybe web page test or GT metrics will uh, give you things to improve the user experience. And ultimately, you want to rank to get users who have a good experience on your site. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. In our fast paced world, things change constantly, and errors in messaging often have significant consequences. With Text Expander, you can save time by converting any text you type into a keyboard shortcut called a snippet. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling, and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Text Expander lets you make new approved messaging available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes, ensuring your team remains consistent, current, and accurate. Text Expander can also be used in any platform, any app, and anywhere you type. So take back your time and increase your productivity. But that's not all it does. With its advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. I can type out full instructions for my podcast editor, hi Joel, in just a few keystrokes. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is PPT. This will take whatever text I have on my clipboard and convert it into plain text. No more fighting formatting if I'm copying from Word or anyplace else. Last month, I saved over two hours in typing alone. That doesn't even take into the account the time I saved by not having to search for the right link, text, address, or number. You have no idea how many times I want to type out a link to a blog post or an affiliate link and I can't remember it and then I have to go searching for it. That generally takes minutes, but since I have a text expander snippet, it takes seconds. Text Expander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. I've been using it a lot more on my iPhone lately because I've been working from my iPhone more uh, because there are days when I'm just not in front of my computer right now. If you've been curious about trying Text Expander or simple automation in general, now's the time. Listeners can get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know that I sent you. Thanks so much to Text Expander for sponsoring the show. And now let's get back to it. So we we touched on, uh, I guess we more than touched on uh, Apache versus Nginx. You just mentioned a CDN. Um, you know, as again, as a developer, these are things that I understand. As a small business owner, we're speaking a whole other language to them. Uh, maybe they hire a development firm or maybe they're trying to do it themselves. Uh, what what kind of should they ask for an nginx server? Do you think or or um, I guess I guess what's the what's the action that uh, a small business owner can take to make sure like they have the right things in place? Yeah, yeah. I mean that that it's certainly more challenging because they're going to have to do some research on their own. Mm-hmm. But what what I will say right off the bat with that is don't skimp on hosting. Mm. Um. Try not, I mean, unless you're really, really small and you don't have any budget, I, I would suggest, you know, some kind of environment that is not a shared space where you're sharing resources with other websites. Um, you, 
the scores that or the response times that you will get on those kinds of hosted environments are just not not nearly as good as dedicated resources. You know, so like in the WordPress world, look at, you know, it's worth in my mind, it is absolutely worth paying the the hosting cost that it would. Like, you know, small business is ten thousand dollars a lot for hosting for a year. You have to kind of put that into perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because if you're if you're selling something on your website and your website is usually a top, you know, one of the main converting factors for your business, if not a hundred percent of your business, you need to make sure that you 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 know it's up it's up 99.95% of the time that it's fat. It has good server response time, you know, so pay that money for, for the hosting, you know, you know, there's, there's a lot of options out there between like Pagely and WP engine and, and some of these ones for WordPress specifically that create a good environment that give you some of that backbone. They give you good server response time. They almost always have like a, a good page caching technology installed by default, like a varnish or something along those lines or a memcache, you know, things of that nature. So that would be my recommendation. Um, from there, I think you have to do a deeper dive into what the components are that make up fast sites. That's a harder aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy for me to talk about it because I've been doing it for a decade plus, right? But right. but a good piece of knowledge is that site speed isn't just like one thing. Mm-hmm. It's it is a it is a whole bunch of things that come together that incrementally improve your site that make it better. Right. So low-hanging fruit, make sure you're not, you know, make sure you're optimizing your images before you're putting them up. That's like one of the one of the big ones because if you're uploading a four megabyte file and that's the file you're putting on your homepage, that's four megabytes on top of everything else that, that every user has to download every time, yeah. right? Which is probably like 4,000 times the size of the HTML being read, like being served, right? Yeah. yeah. To, a good rule of thumb is like, if the original file, the original image is like four megabytes, it can probably come down to somewhere between like one and 400 kilobytes when it's wow. compressed. Yeah. You know, so you think about how much savings that in that's a lot. Now, now when that starts happening with more than one image, all of a sudden, you know, that's a that's a huge performance gain. So that that's definitely like a low hanging fruit one. Yeah. Um and I would say page caching is another one. Like page caching, and you have to be careful with e-commerce sites um with page caching just because it's more interactive, there's sessions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But in general, Page caching is another huge one because what page caching is, is it says a request comes to the server and typically the server has to say, okay, here's a request. I have to compile it and let's just take a WordPress site. WordPress is run by PHP. So PHP has to fire up. It has to talk to the MySQL database to get all the data that builds the page. It has to render it all together and, and then spit out the HTML. With page caching... That request comes in the first time and that that generated HTML gets put into cache, right? So when the next request comes in, instead of doing all the PHP processing and the grabbing from the MySQL database, it just says, here's the HTML, paint it to to the browser and there it is. And and that's a huge performance gain. Um, Yeah, it's almost like uh, like building a Lego set 
and then destroying it and building again the next time you want to play with it versus building it and keeping it built, right? Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, real quick, just uh, for completeness and show notes, you mentioned a couple of hosts that you would generally recommend. I know everybody has their favorite host, but what were those again? Yeah, I threw out Pagely and WP Engine. Um, Pantheon is another mm. really good one that that we like. Um, I, I'll keep it at that. I don't have a ton of experience outside of those. So yeah. those are like... I mean, I have I ha- I have touched on like Media Temple, but that was before GoDaddy purchased them. Mm-hmm. But I know they have like a dedicated WordPress yeah. um, hosting, yep. and but some of some of those come with caveats of like what plugins you can install and whatnot. You know, yeah. so you have you have to take a good analysis of what you need and you know what what you may not get from some of these. Yeah, but, yeah, I I would agree there. I would say generally, like if you want like a, a pretty uh, typical, we'll say WordPress configuration like WP Engine is really good for that. If you need really good um, w- uh, development workflows, I think Pantheon is probably totally uh, agree. like the best option for that. I host all of my websites on Nexus, which is owned by Liquid Web. Uh, they have their managed WordPress and WooCommerce offerings that I like. But um, I mean, what what you said there, and I want to bring it back for this reason too. You said don't skimp on hosting. I think that's so important, right? Because it's like the difference between if you had a physical storefront, like having like this tiny hole in the wall with like a, a sheet for a door uh, where everybody could just rob your store whenever, or like being in a, a nicer district where there's good foot traffic and security. Like, um, I, I don't I don't think a lot of business owners today who have only online businesses realize just how cheap starting a business is. Mm-hmm. So if you're saving a ton of money by not needing a storefront, uh, spend that money on hosting because uh, again, that's uh, you mentioned ten thousand dollars. I'm on uh, excellent hosting that's like a hundred fifty bucks a month. So that's like less than $2,000 if I do, yeah. if I did my math right there. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, and it, it's, it's so worth it that I don't have to worry about if my site's up or if it's really slow, I'm trying to sell services on that site and, uh, on those sites. So uh, again, a long time listeners will hear me get on this high horse multiple times, but it's, it's so important. So I'm really glad you mentioned it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'll just I'll just add from the front end. These are things you probably also are aware of, but um, uh, things like I like talking about critical CSS because I don't think um, I don't see an easy way in WordPress to do that unless the theme implements it. But if you have a, a developer who uh, who won't do this like on the fly on your live site and like thoroughly test it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you just put the, the minimum amount of CSS, uh, on the, in the head of your site and then load the rest in the footer. That way there's no, it's called render, render blocking scripts or render blocking assets. Um, yeah. because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like if you were, it's like a river trying to go through like a giant boulder versus a bunch of smaller pebbles, I guess it's probably a good way to analogize render blocking assets. You don't yeah. want one thing holding up everything else because that takes it that's uh that will reduce the or increase the time for largest contentful paint and largest uh for er, and first contentful paint. Yeah, abs- absolutely. That the 
like when I first started or even getting into site speed stuff, eliminating render blocking resources wasn't even a thing. Like that, mm-hmm. that's be- it's become much more of a forefront need and, and best practices for site speed in the last, I'd say like five years. But it's so important. Like yeah. I have, I, I recently or somewhat recently wrote a po- post just kind of putting in what I consider the tiers of site speed, like what are the most important, like a tier one items, you know, which is like optimizing images and reducing response time and leverage browsing caching and, and things like that. And then tier two. And I feel like eliminating render blocking resources is is pretty much like a tier one at this point because Google's going to knock you with all of its, you know, with all of its metrics and its tools. It's be, it's pretty much whenever we do an audit, like if they need help, guaranteed they need render blocking resource help, which is like implementing a critical CSS and asynchronous loading system mm-hmm. is, is how you eliminate render blocking resources. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, part of that problem is probably you have all these tools, you have like Google Analytics, which can go in the footer, right? Um, but like some Hotjar, for example, can't. Like it has to go in the head, which yeah. is insanely frustrating to me. Uh, like I will disable that as soon as I no longer need it just because I'm like, why? Why do you need to be in the head? Yeah. No, for sure. That's that's one of those items where we put on audits too. Is just really having the third party scripts analyzed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of my frustrations as a developer because it's like we create this this site and we optimize it for all the speed, you know. But our analytics and our marketing teams are like, okay, well, we need GTM, mm-hmm. and then basically it just opens up, you know, the world for them to just be like. Going to drop in this script, yep. this script, the and the Facebook like, pixel, everything. Yeah. yeah. The chat that, and we need intercom. Like, you know, it's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's definitely a little bit of a battle there. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I understand the importance of it as well. People want their metrics. They need mm-hmm. their metrics to be able to analyze what's happening and to, to be able to make informed decisions. I think it's just a matter of coming together and making sure that it's basically. All the scripts on there are absolutely necessary. Yeah. If you're running Hotjar, run that, you know, run that test for a week or whatever you need, then turn it off and make sure that you're, you know, being vigilant about those things. Yeah. Um, also, uh, another tip on Hotjar, right, is that if you don't have a ton of traffic, Hotjar is not the most useless, the, the, the not the most useful tool on the planet, right? Like if you just have a bunch of people like going and looking at the headline and leaving, that's not going to tell you anything. So now you're just adding uh, render blocking resources for no reason, right? Because you're not really getting any interaction there. So th- uh-huh. uh, l- l- like like Andy said, think about the tools you need. Also like, you know, having Google Analytics fine, you don't need like four analytic tools, right? Like think about what you want to measure and use the one that works best for you. For sure. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, where we've been, wow, we've been talking for a while. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Um, yeah, before we go, I do need to ask my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Ah, uh, yes. Trade secrets. I guess I would say keep working at it. I know I touched on this a little bit, a little bit earlier as a web developer, just keep continually testing the sites that you're working on and and really understand like what each one of them means as far as as far as like you know because they all have different there's there's all there's different 
they're they're helping the site in different ways. And so I mentioned this earlier, but site speed or page speed is a combination of a bunch of good practices. So understanding and encompassing those and bringing them in, you know, into the plan goes a long way. And, you know, as a web developer, if you're doing, if you're being proactive about that, if it, you can bring that up in conversations with, you know, with your internal team, with the client, and you can sound really smart, to be honest. You know, if you're, you're being ahead of the game on that and paying attention and you're, you're gonna, you're gonna look good. Um, and, and because you're, you're helping a core, a vital, you know, a vital, a vital aspect of that site. Um, I would say that. And then I also touched on it earlier is don't skimp on hosting. I mean, it's just such a, it's such an important thing. Server response time is massive. Like it's, it, it runs those two core web vital metrics. Um, if you're not, if you're, if you don't have, you know, if you're running on like one core and two, two gigabytes of RAM, I'm sorry, like you're going to get destroyed by websites mm-hmm. that have eight gigabytes of RAM and, yeah. you know, two to four processors. There's just no getting around it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, when you mentioned that I was going to bring this up too, but it's uh, I'm, I'm big on analogies if you haven't noticed, but <laughs> you know, shared hosting um, is, is kind of like the apartment building, right? Or the college dorm, right? If, if one apartment's on fire, then your, your apartment has a, a high probability of getting burned down as well. Um, yeah. Or if you're, if there's like a single heater, I guess, in the whole building, right? <laughs> it's like not apartment temperature controlled. Yeah, uh, no, you know. absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so Andy, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Reminder uh, that in uh, Build Something More, we're going to talk about kind of what it was like uh, going through an, an acquisition at a company uh, that Andy's mm-hmm. been at for a long time, uh, as well as uh, well, I'm going to ask him about some of his records behind him. Uh, but uh, if you want to get that, you can head over to buildsomething.club and sign up for the membership. It's five bucks a month or 50 bucks a year. Get two months for free. Uh, and you get ad-free extended episodes. Uh, but for now, Andy, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, portent.com, P-O-R-T-E-N-T.com. Fantastic. Uh, I will link to that. Uh, and Andy's Twitter is at uh, portentandy. So um, I will link to those things and everything we talked about. Lots of links in the show notes over at howibuilt.it. Andy, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. Awesome. And thank you to everybody listening. Until next time, get out there and build something. 